these guys that had nothing are going to stand there in the Valley of Salt Lake where there is nothing but tall grass and a few scrub oak and sparse trees there. We are going to fulfill this prophecy, this prophecy that was uttered by Isaiah thousands of years ago. That prophecy, it's about us. Hello and welcome to Saints. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Ben Godfrey. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Chapter 4 of Saints Volume 2, An Ensign to the Nations. We're very excited today to welcome Jake Olmsted with us. He's a curator of historic sites for the Church History Department. Welcome, Jake. Thank you. Jake, in today's episode, we're talking about Chapter 4. You have some expertise and knowledge in this area, and we're excited for you to share that with us. First of all, let's go back just a little bit and remember that the saints are moving west. And the way that we normally think about that is they're running. They're on the run from persecution. And you have some additional insights on that topic. Tell us how this might work. Sure. I think a really interesting way to frame this up, as you mentioned, there is this kind of push factor, the persecution. They're leaving during winter, just getting out of the city. But oftentimes, I think we forget that they are destined to go to a location which Brigham has seen in vision. Temple is so central to this migration, this exodus. Uh, so it's almost as if they're being pulled to a destination which Brigham has seen in vision. He knows what he is looking for. He doesn't know precisely how to get there. But he knows that there's a destination where the saints are going to build a new community, They're, and it's going to be based on the plat of Zion that Joseph had uh, introduced several years earlier. And at the center of that plat is a temple. And so, yeah, there is this push factor in persecution, but there's also this pull factor in looking for this place where they are going to build another temple. And they're going to establish another Zion community. And you hear that in Brigham wants the people to be righteous. He's chiding them. Saints talks about this. Um, he's encouraging them to repent and to pray and to get along. He wants these to be saintly people so that they can actually build this city that's going to have a temple at its center. How long had Brigham, when did he have the vision and how widely had that been communicated to the pioneers, the the people who were traveling west? That's a good question, and I don't know if I have a good answer for that. He was in Nauvoo. He was in the temple. He was praying desperately, seeking for direction for where to take the saints, and he sees in vision. While he's in the temple, he sees a vision of what comes to be known as Enzyme Peak, this kind of oddly shaped conical formation that everyone who lives in Salt Lake Valley has seen. And in this vision, Joseph is there and says, build the city under this ensign, under this flag. And that's what he's searching for. I love the idea that they're seeking. They're not necessarily just fleeing. Yeah. They're looking for this place. And in fact, the book mentions this, that when a member of the company would ask Brigham where they were going, he just answers, I will show you when we come to it. He would say, <laughs> yeah. I have seen it. I have seen it in vision. And when my natural eyes behold it, I shall know it. So he's just kind of saying, I'll show you when we get there. You know, it's neat. And I think it's really cool too. What a great metaphor this is for our own lives. Oftentimes we know the destination, right? We know why we're here on earth. We know what we're trying to accomplish. 
we're often shown a bigger picture, but we're not told exactly how to get there. And Brigham was not told exactly how to get there. He was doing everything in his power to learn more about where the good locations might be. He's he's consulting maps. He's consulting explorers. He has a general idea, but he doesn't know precisely. And he's, of course, working through this and praying and, and hoping that the Lord will bring them to the location. And ultimately that happens. And he receives confirmation of that pretty quickly upon arriving in the valley. He knows that he has found this location. And what a, a remarkable illustration that is for our own lives. So let's talk a little bit about that arrival in the valley. We have a scene, I think lots of us who've been members for a long time, we will have maybe a picture come into our mind from an illustration or even a movie kind of come to our mind of this is the place. Can you tell us a little bit about what we know from the historical record of what happened, who was there, what was said? Sure. And I have to tell you, I love this scene uh, for a couple of reasons. Of course, Brigham is sick. He has Rocky Mountain spotted fever and he's being pulled by Wilford Woodruff. Wilford brings him up to a point where he can overlook the valley. And we know that in the process, like we've been talking about, Temple has been on the mind of Brigham Young, other church leaders during their entire exodus moving west. In fact, Brigham's speculating about what the design is going to be of the temple very early on. He's asked William Weeks to come be part of the Vanguard Company. So in his mind is Temple. And he's looking for this location for a city that where a temple is going to be at its center. Not surprisingly, if you look at Wilford Woodruff's diary, who was there with Brigham, and the, the two of them are sitting there looking at the valley, it would not be surprising to anyone that temple is on their mind. Now, we oftentimes hear this, the statement, this is the place or this is the right place. Well, this is what Wilford records. Thoughts of pleasing meditation ran in rapid succession through our minds while we contemplated that not many years that the house of God would stand upon the tops of the mountains. President Young expressed his full satisfaction in the appearance of the valley as a resting place for the saints. So he sees immediately and was amply repaid for his journey. So I think that's wonderful. They're thinking temple. And not only you can, you can see the language there, maybe thinking a little bit about Isaiah's prophecy in uh, 2.2, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the tops of the mountains. But what is really cool is that here you have Brigham Young, who in a few days will actually see and vision the temple when he's walking through the valley. And you have Wilford Woodruff, who has seen a vision of the temple as well uh, during the journey west. But here you have the prophet that is going to begin the construction of the temple and the prophet that is going to finish the construction of the temple there together looking at the valley for the first time with temple on their minds. It's quite a wonderful scene. That's an incredible Uh, connection. Well, those two, they continue to play an important role, Brigham and Wilford Woodruff together. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the site was selected and, and how these two individuals, as you pointed out really remarkably, the prophet who begins and the prophet who finishes the Salt Lake Temple, how are they involved in selecting the site for where the temple will be built? So let me review just real briefly kind of the timeline after they arrive in the valley. Of course, July 24th is when 
Brigham and Wilfred Woodruff, they see the valley for the first time. Um, some saints and some of the members of the 12 had been there a few days earlier and they'd already started planting crops to hopefully ensure the temporal salvation of the saints because they don't know what the future is going to hold. But Brigham, of, of course, he sees the valley and he, he kind of knows that this is the place. The next day is Sunday. And at the end of Sunday, they start talking about organizing exploration parties to head out Monday morning, the very next day. And in fact, Brigham is set to head out on one of these exploration parties, but doesn't. He's too ill to do this. But they send exploration parties in all different directions, trying to go find a location that may be better, Cache Valley, Utah Valley. They're, they're looking for maybe points further west. They're looking for a location that may be better. But Brigham doesn't head out because he's too sick and he's sleeping in Wilford Woodruff's, uh, the back of his uh, coach. And the next morning he gets up in uh, Monday morning and he feels better. And so he gets up and he wants to go for a walk. He goes out and he's walking the landscape with Wilford Woodruff and a few of the members of the 12. And they're kind of, as you can imagine the scene, right? They're in this new valley and they're talking about where are we going to build a city? Where's going to have the best water access? Where's the best soil to be found? They're having these kind of conversations. And so they're walking around. And as they come to this point, that's kind of right between these two branches of, of what comes to be known as City Creek and Brigham kind of halts in his tracks and sees in vision the temple. And Wilford Woodruff is there. And he talks about this later in his life that after this experience, he finds a, a piece of sagebrush, a stick, and drives it in the ground to remember the location. And that's Wilford Woodruff that That's does Wilford that. Woodruff okay. that does this. And so here again, you have the prophet who is going to commence the temple and the prophet that's going to complete the temple. Just a little side note, what is really fascinating, Brit, Wilford Woodruff tells this story five times during his life. In all but one instance, it is during 24th of July celebration. So it's kind of like his contribution to the pioneering story mm. that he observed this. He right. doesn't actually tell the story until after Brigham Young has passed away. And I think that's because he sees this as Brigham's story. He saw the vision. So if he's going to tell the story, it's going to be Brigham telling it. But once Brigham passes on, it becomes Wilford's story, Wilford Woodruff's story. And every time he tells this story, the whole point is a testimony for Wilford Woodruff of Brigham Young's prophetic accuracy. Because he's saying, look, I was here when Brigham had this vision and I planted a little piece of sagebrush in the ground. And I'm testifying to you now that that location is the same location where this massive building is wow. <laughs> and that this happens. Right. For Wilford Woodruff, it's a it's really a testimony of Brigham Young's mantle as a prophet. He even says after Brigham Young says, here shall stand the temple of our God. Wilford said that those words struck him like lightning. Yeah. And so I feel like that moved him to that action. You know, this is where the temple is going to be. And to actually see that fulfilled, that's incredible. It, it, it's amazing. Um, oftentimes when we hear this story, that's kind of where the story ends. We have this remarkable story that is shared by Wilford Woodruff about Brigham seeing the vision. But the story doesn't end there, and it's really quite remarkable. Like I mentioned, there's exploratory parties going out that Monday, and they had not returned yet. Brigham himself is okay on Tuesday to head out for uh, an exploratory party of his own, and they go up and they explore the Great Salt Lake, and they end up over by the Ochre Mountains, and then they come, they come back. When they get back 
on this Wednesday afternoon, and this is this is July the 28th, after they get back, Brigham Young goes and refines this location where the temple was seen in vision. And we actually have this nice scene captured by Thomas Bullock where he waves his hand and he's like, here will be the temple, the 40 acres for the temple lot and all the 12 come. And they kind of had this outdoor quorum of the 12 meeting, those members of the 12 that were there. And they vote unanimously to ratify Brigham's vision for the location of the temple, but also that the city will be built there. So here you have a vision then ratified by the 12. But then two hours later, and it's getting closer to evening time, all of the priesthood brethren that are in the camp are invited to this same location. And I can just imagine, you know, uh, there's tall grass everywhere and they kind of are just kind of sitting down. It, it was apparently a full moon that night. It was getting dark, but they're sitting there and, uh, you know, and there, there probably was a campfire there. And this idea of where we are going to settle and where we're going to build the temple is raised uh, for a third time. By this time, all the explorers ha have come back and Brigham opens it up for debate. What are your thoughts about where we should stay? Have you found any place that's better than what we have here? And there are some differing opinions and folks that feel like they should uh, maybe seek out other possibilities. But at the end of the day, everyone comes to agreement after discussion that, no, this is the place. And Brigham, of course, bears valiant testimony that, you know, I've seen this in vision. I know that this is the place. And I actually even knew it before any of the explorers got back that this was the location and, and this is the place where we should build the city. And so they again have a vote, a sustaining vote to sustain the prophet's vision. And so I think that what is so remarkable about these particular line of events is that we witness this in the modern church today every time we go to general conference. We have a prophet who receives vision for his people, receives the direction of the Lord. It is then ratified by the 12, and they have a perfect, uh, even though they, they discuss and they oftentimes disagree when they're going to present things, they're in unanimous agreement. And then that's presented to the full body of the saints for a sustaining vote. So this process was in place a long time before what we see today. Right. And it was in place with the, with the location of the temple and thus the city of Salt Lake. So it's amazing it, how similar it really yeah. is to how we still do things today. Jake, now that they've decided this truly is the place, this is where we're going to be and stay, this is where we're going to build the temple, what happens next? What do they do? So just within a matter of days, well, they at this meeting, they kind of line out where the temple square, what we call temple square today, where the temple block is going to be. And initially they thought it would be 40 acres, which is actually four times the size that what it is today. And they, they ultimately decide that's too much space, that's too ambitious, and they reduce it to 10. But they start surveying the city of Salt Lake from the southeast corner of Temple Square. Within a matter of days, I think it's August 2nd, so it's like within a week, they start surveying the city. Orson Pratt is the one taking the lead of that, and they start at that southeast corner. And even today, when you go down to yeah, Temple the Square, the still Basin there. Meridian's there. Yeah. That's where they are rectifying the entire city from that southeast corner. And so they start laying out the blocks um, in the grid-like pattern. So I think that's notable, right? That the city starts from the temple. The temple is the center. But then later, as they're talking about, okay, 
Of course, the streets move out in the four cardinal directions. So every street in Salt Lake is oriented according to the temple. And as they start to talk about, well, what should we name these roads? They talk about how they wanted to number them outwards from the temple. And you see that today, you know, first, second, third, south. That is how many blocks away you are from the temple. And so Latter-day Saints that live in Salt Lake City, non-Latter-day Saints that live in Salt Lake City, whether or not they know it or not, their geographic landscape is organized and oriented according to the temple. Another remarkable metaphor for our lives. Temporally, they were oriented according to the temple, but obviously spiritually, we need to be oriented in our own spiritual landscapes, oriented according to the temple. The temple needs to be the center of our lives, those covenants and ordinances. For those of us who've lived in Utah and our listeners, if you haven't been been here before, it's really easy to find something in this valley <laughs> yeah. because you know, you, you. I mean, it's second nature, right? Somebody says, oh, I live on 123rd South and 5th West. Well, I, well, I know you exactly where it, that is. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need a GPS. I don't need anything to get there. It really is kind of a cool thing to think the reason that it's easy is because we know where the center point is, yeah. and that's the temple. Jake, can you tell us a little bit about the first Sunday meeting that happened here? Who, who was preaching and, and what was their message about? Boy, this is another one of my favorite stories, favorite scenes of, that, of those early days here. Like I mentioned before, the second day after the 24th, after Brigham's arrival, is, is a Sunday. And I, I guess many will know, and it's talked about in Saints, that they, Brigham Young is encouraging people not to go and explore, not to do, uh, start their farms. He's encouraging them to keep the Sabbath day holy. Interestingly enough, though, Brigham Young is still very sick. Brigham was very verbose, and he talked, and he gave these great, long, shoot-from-the-cuff sermons. And this may have been one of the shortest sermons in his life. He, he only says a few words about not exploring and keeping the Sabbath day holy, and he's done. He doesn't have it in him to continue. But there are other apostles that are there who speak. And in fact, the very first sermon that's delivered is by Apostle uh, George A. Smith. And, and Tom, George A. is an uncle to Joseph Smith, is yes, that right? Yes, and, he, and he's a member of the Twelve. He's actually the, the apostle that ends up becoming most known for his work with Southern Utah, and St. George is named after him. But we have from Thomas Bullock, which was the Vanguard Company scribe, record keeper, he says in his record, G.A. Smith preached about the house of the Lord being established on the tops of the mountains. Of course, this is a reference to Isaiah 2.2. So they're clearly the saints and Brigham, even when he sees the valley and what Wilford Woodruff records, there's reminiscence to this scripture as well. But they're seeing what they're doing there and what they will do there is a tied to this, fulfilling this prophecy about the last days. And when you think about these saints, they had nothing. They have left Nauvoo. Most of their worldly possessions are left behind. They've gone through this thousand-mile journey to find this new location where they're going to build a temple in a city. But they pretty much arrive with seeds and some cattle and oxen and their wagons, and that is it. But they do have their faith. And just the sheer audacity, I think, and maybe audacity is the wrong word, but these— I think it's pretty <laughs> audacious, honestly. <laughs> These guys that had nothing are going to stand there in the Valley of Salt Lake 
where there is nothing but tall grass and a few scrub oak and sparse trees there, we are going to fulfill this prophecy. This prophecy that was uttered by Isaiah thousands of years ago, that prophecy, it's about us. (laughs) And we're going to do it. And we're going to build this house of the Lord in the tops of the mountains. Just the drive and the faith led them that that based on this kind of thinking led them to do something truly extraordinary. Anyone who stands in the presence of the temple and knows anything about its story understands how impressive this is. And the fact that that effort is driven, at least in part, by fulfilling a prophecy is really amazing. And the amount of sacrifice it would take to do that over the course of 40 years. It's it's just amazing. But it all started at this Sabbath day meeting where George A. Smith gets up and says, you know, a few words, but that they are planning to do this is really remarkable. You mentioned earlier Enzyme Peak and that Brigham Young had seen Enzyme Peak as part of his vision and knew that this is where the saints were going to be. Can you tell us more about the significance of Enzyme Peak? Of course, Brigham recognizes it immediately, and he says, I want to go and explore this. And so the group goes up there and have a look from the very top of that. For those who haven't been there, you can see the entirety of the valley from up there. It is quite a remarkable thing. But tied up into this notion when they get up there is this notion of ensign to the nations, right? That this place, this temple, this location is going to then reach out and pull in, which I think connotes not only the missionary work, but also the gathering of Israel from all the corners of the world. They again have this opportunity there where they're filled with this notion and they want to do something. All uh, Brigham Young and, and Wilfred Woodruff and all the other apostles that are up there looking over the valley, they want to raise a physical standard, a physical enzyme to the nation, but they don't have it. But they do want to do something. So they take a little pole or whatever. And they, I think it's a Heber C. Kimball has a yellow bandana. And, and as these guys typically carry with them, big bandanas to wipe sweat or whatever, they hang this bandana as the first ensign to the nation. And this is again, another one of these examples of a people that really have nothing. They don't even have a flag to raise, but they have this bandana. They're going to do it. It's symbolic that yes, this will be the ensign to the nation's and people will f- eventually flow to this place. And it, it happens rather rapidly. Salt Lake kind of becomes known as this crossroads of the West. You know, people are coming back and forth, north and south, east and west. But then looking forward to the missionary work that's going to head out and the gathering that's going to take place. Really, again, a remarkable scene there. You know, as you're talking, Jake, I literally have just had running through my mind a hymn over and over and over. Oh. High on a mountaintop. A banner is unfurled. Ye nations now look up. It waves to all the world. In Deseret's sweet, peaceful land, on Zion's mount, behold it stand. And I can just remember, because one of the reasons it was one of the only hymns that was translated into Tagalog, which I went to my mission (laughs) in the Philippines. But those words are in my mind in another language, and they're so powerful and meaningful. It's just a testimony to me when I think about people all over the world who sing this hymn in their own languages, celebrating this moment of Heber C. Kimball mm-hmm. tying a bandana to a stick yeah. and yeah. waving it and saying, this is it. <laughs> yeah. We are starting here. And they did. Yeah. Tr- truly, truly amazing when you think about that. 
when I was a teenager, for one of our youth conferences, we went on a trek and reenacted that by pulling handcarts and packing our stuff in buckets and things like that. And I just remember after finishing trek and we were driving back in our lovely air-conditioned car, we came through the canyon and I could just see the valley. And that was really the first time I imagined truly what the pioneers went through as far as coming here and just seeing, you know, grasses and streams and beyond that, nothing that they had to build from scratch. But then to see now, you know, 150 years later, what has come of their efforts, it was completely overwhelming to me. And that there's just such a prosperous, thriving community, you know, as far as you could see within these mountains. And then like Ben, you said, you can see that throughout the world. One thing, and, I, and maybe hopefully it doesn't take us too far from our topic, but what is the value, what is the meaning of that building for a church that is now global? So for a long time, when the church is you know, based in the Wasatch Front of the West, it was either part of their religious experience, they had temple ordinances done there, or they actually had ancestors who participated in the construction. They obviously felt a connection to that building, but now where we're in a church where people have their temples in their own lands, right? And that is where they tie their their spiritual roots are tied to their historic sites and their temples in their own areas. Their lived religious experience are right. not necessarily connected to Salt Lake anymore. But yet we are all connected to Salt Lake. We all look to Salt Lake at general conference time when we hear the prophet's voice and the Salt Lake Temple is a part of that. They often show it and it remains kind of an icon. But I think that these stories about fulfilling prophecy, pioneering, making something out of really nothing and having that vision of what can be accomplished if you're on the Lord's errand, those things are all tied up into the temple. And those things, I think, transcend geography Yeah, it's universal. It's universal. And so if you're a new Latter-day Saint in any other country, this is something that is your heritage now. Well, we thank you so much, Jake, for for being here with us today. This has been a super fun conversation to learn more about, you know, what happened in those very early days as they arrived in the valley. And as our listeners are reading saints, I just invite you to sort of suspend your memory for a minute and live with the saints what it's going to be like to build this temple. Now, you know it's already going to be built, and, <laughs> and we fulfilled the prophecy. But in Saints Volume 2, you get to sort of experience what it was like to go through all that they had to go through to complete this temple. And it is a fun journey, and we're excited to continue to share more with you here on the Saints Podcast. And for those of you who are reading along online, you can always click through the footnotes to learn even more about the topics that pique your interest. There's a lot of information about the Salt Lake Valley, the Salt Lake Temple, and all of the people and places that we've talked about today. And we invite you to share with us your feedback. You can email us at saintspodcast at churchofjesuschrist.org and visit our website, saints.churchofjesuschrist.org. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Ben Godfrey. Thank you so much for listening.